right. Happy Sunday, church. Are we okay? We, we awake? I, I, heard, uh, I heard a little rowdiness even while Chris was up here talking about giving, so I know you're awake. If you can be rowdy during that part, let's go. Hey, uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Cody Wason. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. Just want to say thank you once again for spending your Sunday evening with us. It's an honor and a privilege to have all of us here together worshiping Jesus. And um, yeah, and anybody excited about fall at all? Okay, hold on. Let me just, out of curiosity, is anyone like really sad to see summer go? (laughs) People are actually booing right now. Okay. Well, hey, uh, we kind of operate around here on the school calendar. So as we step into August, not only all the physical changes and the the cool weather, and and for those of you that drink coffee, the pumpkin spice, everything, um, if they ever have a pumpkin spice energy drink, I guess I'll get on that train. But until then, won't be a part of that fad. Hey, so uh, we are excited, uh, not only for all the physical changes, but as as we kind of turn the calendar and jump into a new school year, Uh, It's been an exciting time uh, asking God, hey, what do you have for us this year? Where are we going this season, uh, this semester, this school year? What do you have for us? And I would just encourage each one of us, uh, whenever we step into a new season, to start asking God those questions. You know, what do you have for me? What, What do I need to be saying yes to in this season? What do I need to be saying no to? That we might be able to put all of our talent, all of our time, all of our treasure into the, into the things that God's calling us to. Uh, and that's what we're doing here at Antioch Salt Lake. So tonight, I want to talk a little bit about where we're going. Uh, but I, I want to start off by talking about who we are. Who we are is the vehicle that will take us to where we're going. God's put amazing uh, a vision and call on this church to impact this city and this state uh, and the nations of the, of the, of the world but who we are, the culture that we establish as a church family will be what takes us there. We can't do it outside of that. So before we talk about and get really excited about all the things that God's doing, the new stuff we're, we're, we're launching in the fall, where we're going, tonight we're going to press pause and just say, who are we as a church? What are we all about? So if you're new, this is your first couple times or your first time ever, thank you for being here. I hope you leave tonight and you can answer the question of, what is Antioch all about? If you've been here with us since the beginning, since the time we were meeting at my house watching Chicago Blackhawks watch parties, or maybe you were with us when we started having uh, parties at Liberty Park, just a bunch of strangers that did it. was super awkward, but we, we like to party. We do it pretty well. So the awkwardness left pretty quickly. And from there, we headed over to Hillside Middle School. Who was with us at Hillside Middle School? Look at that. That's like six of us. Pray. That's awesome. Hillside Middle School, we had 97 people, the first ever Sunday service at Antioch Salt Lake, pack out a 600-person auditorium at Hillside Middle School, and it was amazing. And then God's brought us here. But here, I I don't do this often, but I want to give a little plug for next week. God's got amazing stuff for us tonight. I'm not phoning it in tonight. But next week, we're going to do a deeper dive on who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. You're going to get to hear the story of Antioch Salt Lake City, and not only Antioch Salt Lake City, but of the Antioch movement. So if you didn't know, we're not just an isolated church out here. We are a part of a family of churches 
that's known as the Antioch Network of Churches. And, and uh, we've got 40 churches here in the U.S. and around the world. There's uh, works going on uh, with the, underneath the umbrella of the Big C Church and the tribe of Antioch in over 40 countries. It's an honor to be a part of this family. And next week, I'm so excited to bring you in on the story of Antioch and, how we, and why we planted and also bring you in on what we feel like God has spoken over our church for the next season. But again, I want to pause all of that and just camp out tonight on who we are as a church. And I want to, I want to zoom us out a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. And if it gets a little bit in there, I like to tell stories. I'm a talker. If at any point you, you don't think this is going to connect to the bigger picture of who we are as a church, just have a little faith. And then at the end, if it didn't connect, you can come tell me that later. But I want to zoom out. As, we, as our goal tonight, who are we as a church? What are we going after? What are we all about? I want to zoom out and talk about 11 years ago, I stepped uh, foot for the first time on ba- Baylor University. Any other Baylor Bears? Yeah, there's a couple. Let's go. So um, I had transferred in. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and I had transferred into Baylor University as a junior. And I was leaving home to get away from my family. My, life had, my, my family life had gotten a little rocky. Uh, that part of my testimony, uh, you'll, you'll get to know uh, over time, but I just, I didn't have a great home life at the time with my parents. Didn't have a relationship, good relationship with my parents, my sister, and I needed to use a really fancy word. I needed to emancipate. I needed to get out of there. I needed to set myself free from kind of some of the, the growing up at home baggage of 18 years and that, and that. And so I had this plan. I'm going to go off to college with a friend. I'm going to let him pick where we go. I went on exactly zero campus visits. It was awesome. He picked Baylor. I had never heard of Baylor. I literally had to Google Baylor. I thought it was uh, like a small school somewhere around us that I had never heard of. Little did I know I'd be going on a journey to Waco, Texas. So here's the deal. I was at a crossroads at that time in my life, in my faith. I'd grown up in church since the time I was four. I had I'd led in church. I had played the church game. I knew a lot about God and Jesus. I knew stories. I could lead youth group. I could lead in kids, men. I, I'm not going to lie. I was good at it. I was really good at it. And, and, then, and then this weird thing happened. I'm 19 years old, and I, had, I was faced with this question. Is this going to be me for the rest of my life? Am I going to own my faith, or am I going to be you know, am I going to go to church every Sunday for two hours and then go try to live my life and try to be a good person, but, you know, chase the American dream and the money and the, and the best job and the best this and the best that? Or am I actually going to, like, follow Jesus for real? Like, am I going to let Jesus and the gospel, and I wouldn't have been able to, you know, articulate this as a 19-year-old, but, like, am I going to let the gospel kind of rework me from the inside out, change how I viewed the world, how I viewed myself, how I made decisions, how I went about living my life. Those were the crossroads. And I'll tell you, here was my response as a 19-year-old. Well, I've given the church, I've given Jesus about 14 years, 15 years, and I'm not completely satisfied. I still have a lot of brokenness. I'm still not loving life. I'm going to give the world a try. I lived 14, 15 years. I had said no to everything your mom could tell you to say no to. I was the like straight as an arrow. I was it. 
I, I mean, I think I had like maybe smoked a cigar once like three days before I turned 18 and like, like just like hated myself for it forever. And so I'm like, I'm going to go party. I'm going to go just, I'm going to go wild. I'm just going to see what the world has to offer. And then I'll just compare. That seemed like a logical, like, I'll compare and see what I like more. 15 years of saying no or like three, four, five months of saying yes to everything. And we'll see where it, what it ends me. So in the great planning of Cody Wason, I chose to go party at a small private Christian institution. <laughs> so I show up to Baylor. Now, like, Baylor is small, but it's not as small as I thought at first. It's got, you know, had 15-something thousand undergrad. And so it was a big experience. It was, uh, Baylor was almost as big as the town I grew up in. So it was, it was an adjustment. And you could party at Baylor. Like, no question about it. You could party. So here's the other ironic part of this story. I was going to get away from my family so I could make this decision to go party. And who volunteered to drive me the 18 hours? My dad. I drove 18 hours in the car from Woodstock, Illinois to Waco, Texas with my dad in the passenger seat or driving the whole time thinking, I'm, I'm going to get away from you. And I'm going so I can do things you don't approve of. It was an awkward 18 hours. I don't know how to handle myself in awkward situations. It was not good. So my dad, we get there. Anyways, uh, so, so my dad leaves. We, he, he stays for a couple days. Monday morning, I go to class. I take him to the airport. He flies. And I have that moment. I'm all alone. I walk into my, do- my, my dorm room, my apartment room. I'm by myself. And I'm like, what have I done? College students, maybe you've had that feeling. Like, where am I? Salt Lake City. Why did I choose this school? What am I doing with my life? Like, we get really existential. What's happening with my life? Like, what, you know, just what am I doing? So I go the first week of college, and I'm just making it every day, just like, wow, I'm on my own. I'm so cool. Uh, but at the same time, I know one human in the state of Texas, completely alone, and I, that, that next following Sunday, I went to church. I didn't, I, that first week, I didn't party. I was like, you know, I, I'm going to get my, my feet. I'm going to learn, like, where stuff is on campus, and then I'll party. Then I'll do it. I show up to church on Sunday morning because I knew that my mom was going to call me Sunday night. And I wanted to be able to tell her I went to church. So I, I walk into this church that I heard about from my friend, my roommate. This, it had a weird name. It was called Antioch, and it met in an old grocery store. And you walked in, and you could feel the old grocery store feel, low ceilings. You could just picture where everything went. The dairy probably went over there, and, and everything. Like you could just sense it. I walk in the back, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this church thing one more time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go party. And I could take you, if they hadn't renovated the whole building and like upgraded it and expanded it because now there's thousands of people coming to this church, I could take you to the row into the seat where I stood the first time in the back of the room. And I stood and I put my hands in my pocket and I was ready to get through another church service so I could go to lunch and then go back to being this new college thing. And something happened. Like worship started and there was something different in the room. It just felt different. And I remember looking around as worship started, and I'm seeing grandparents and parents and college kids my age, and they're like 
raising their hands. There, there's people on their knees. There's this lady that would always come to church. I stayed in Waco for eight years. There's a lady that would sit right here. Hello, Alexa. And she would sit in the very front, and she would dance. She would get on her knees. She would lay down. She would yell. If she was in this room, y'all would have thought it was a little weird. And I'm looking at her, and what should have been weird, I was so attracted to. I'm like, these people, like, they're not just here for a Sunday service to check off the list and go back to their own life. Like, these people, there's something, they, and I left, and I remember talking to my roommate, and I'm like, I feel, I, think these, I feel like they know something that I don't. Like, I've been in church my whole life, and I've been in amazing worship settings and at conferences and all these different things. What do they know that I don't? I would, like I said, I would end up, I never ended up going and partying. I never did. I just, I, I, I came back the next week and the next week. I was like, I just, I can't get, there's, I was just hooked. And I would sit in the back and I would just, I would just talk to God the whole time. What is there, what is going on? I thought I was coming to leave this. This is everything I wanted to get away from. And over time, I got to know a family that was just all in for Jesus. Like, they lived it. They didn't just sing songs, and they didn't just make it about having a cool Sunday service. I got knit into this community that was a family of people that challenged me. Can I say, if you're being challenged in your church community, praise God, don't run from it. Don't go find a church that you can coast at. Don't go find a church where no one will call you out on your junk. I got a part of this community, and people are like encouraging me, loving me, rebuking me. <laughs> wow, you're immature. Wow, you need to grow. We love you. We'll grow with you. Wow, you need to grow. Like, and I, I just, I, I said, God, I'm all in. I remember standing in the back maybe a year or two later. At the time, I was, uh, no, no, it would have been like, a, uh, actually, sorry, a year or two. Timing is rough for me. About, about three or four months later, not a year or two later, that was bad. Three or four months later, I'm in the back of a worship uh, night for college students. And I was a psych major. I had a plan. My mentor back home had a really successful uh, uh, practice. My plan was to get my degree, get my master's degree, go home, join the practice. His, his son was one of my best friends. We were going to live the dream in suburban Chicago. We were going to go to Cubs games all the time. We were going to love life. We were going to make a lot of money. I was going to marry my high school sweetheart. We were going to have the whole deal. And I'm standing in the back of this worship night uh, and, and just looking out and seeing hundreds of college students my age just laying it down for Jesus. And I remember thinking, God, I, I want to be a part of this. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if you're, I'm even qualified. But if I can be a part of people experiencing what I've experienced, I'm in. I'll do whatever you ask. It was a couple weeks later that I changed my major to history. Yeah, you can laugh. I graduated with a history degree that I'll probably never use. But I'm super thankful for it. Don't ask me history questions, by the way. That's not going to end great. I got the degree. Let's just end it there. <laughs> but I had experienced a family that was all in. I would end up living in Waco and staying in Waco uh, in total for almost eight years. And God responded to my yes, 
giving him everything, and I just continue to grow and grow and grow. And then eventually, a group of friends, you'll hear more about this next week, 19 people said yes to an invitation from God to leave Waco and come to Salt Lake City and do the thing I asked God if he'd let me do, I'd give my life for. To start a church, to start a family where people could come in the back and stand in the back and say, what's, a, what's different about this group? What's different? Four years ago, we got to start Antioch Salt Lake City. We're different people. We're not perfect. <laughs> we're not perfect. But we're committed to loving Jesus. And over my time in Waco and over the time that God's used to build my, 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 my life with Him and my, my, my relationship with Him and my character and all these things, what I love about Antioch Waco and what I love about our church And here's the moment that if you're like, what is this church all about? Here it is. We're going to love Jesus. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. We're going to put Jesus first. We're going to be rooted in Scripture. I know that's not a popular thing these days. There's so many voices right now telling us what we should believe and how we should act and telling us what to do. And the Bible is under attack right now, if we're honest. In our generation, if we don't like what the Bible has to say, it must be wrong, and we must push it to the side. Can I tell you, what's left? If I'm up here, if we're not rooted in Scripture, if we're not anchored in the truth, if I'm up here preaching and teaching, and I'm not anchored in, if I'm living, if I go Monday, Tuesday, and I'm living, not anchored in the truth, then I'm living anchored in my emotions, I'm anchored in my past, I'm anchored in my wounds, I'm anchored in all these sorts of things. You don't want to live that way, you don't want to be led that way. If we're not anchored in Scripture, then we're liable to be blown any which way. We have to be a people, and we're going to be a people who learn not only to love the Word of God, but how to study it, how to engage with it, how to ask the hard questions. How to, how, to, how, to be, how to be anchored in it, okay? So we're going to be rooted in Scripture. We're going to be led. We're going to be a people led by the Holy Spirit. So we love Jesus. I'm going to talk about that. We're, we're going to be rooted and anchored in Scripture. We're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Can I say if you live a life being led by the Holy Spirit, it's risky, it's messy, and it's the safest place you can be. People aren't going to like it. People aren't going to get it. But it is the safest place to be. Can I say, we would not be here today if we were, we, when I say we, the leadership of the church, believers in John, we wouldn't be here if we weren't responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I joke sometimes, I love Salt Lake City. But you don't end up in Salt Lake City by accident. Amen, I got an Amen. You don't trip and fall your way into Salt Lake City. You, you're here for a reason. I remember when we, those 19 people, again, you'll hear more about this in depth next week, when those people were, were feeling God was initiating with us to move to Salt Lake City and start a church. People thought, I mean, literally, people in our church family were like, are you sure? Back in 2015, before we launched, I was the executive pastor at the time, so I came out. Uh, and visited a couple times before my wife and I moved, before the whole team moved to start the church. 
I had three meetings before we ever, like, before the whole team was even here, where good-hearted, Jesus-loving people in this valley told us not to come. It's too hard. There's got to be other cities that need a church like this that would be easier. You know, you would grow a lot faster if you went to that other place. I had one guy who became a dear friend. I won't name his name, but he looked at me and he said, yeah, you should come if you're prepared for no one to come, no one to get saved, no one to get baptized, no one, nothing for seven years. Come. And we left coffee, and I did not know what to do with that. Can I say, we wouldn't have come if we weren't being led by the Holy Spirit. If it was our own idea, our own strategy, our own, for our own goals and our own gain, we would have said, oh, we're out. Let's go to one of those easier cities where we could gather a bunch of, uh, of believers that are already, you know, just take people from other churches and start a mega church and have lots of fun and lots of money and do lots of cool things. And... But we've been led by the Holy Spirit. As we continue on this journey of being led by the Holy Spirit, our decisions will continue to be made, not in our best interest as staff, not in what we think would be the best thing, the most strategic thing. We're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be in this building forever. When we buy a building, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit is like making it abundantly clear. This is your space. When we move, we're going to be responding to the Holy Spirit. When we start ministries, we're not starting ministries for the sake of looking like a church and looking like everyone else. When we started the women's ministry, it wasn't because, well, we've got women. Let's give them a ministry. No, we felt like God saying, hey, hey, the time is now. And just so you know, women, Salt Lake City will never, ever, ever be reached without women of God being, meeting with Jesus, loving him, living their life in discipleship. Like, we can't, I was telling a person back in Waco, that I'm friends with, and he said, hey, what, you know, what do you think about the future, the next three, five years of the church? I said, the next three, five years of the church, God's calling us to minister to families and women because that's the demographic of our city. The women in our city are desperate for hope. So we started a women's ministry, not to say, look, we can make a pun and call it gather, <laughs> although I'm pro-pun. <laughs> We're being led by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be a sent people. We're a people on mission. Not just to the four corners of the map, although we unapologetically believe in the Great Commission that we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. I love being a part of this family. I've got being a part of this family has allowed me to go to places I never thought I'd go with Jesus, to share the gospel with people I never would have thought, to see cultures and places I never would have known to be a part of the Big C Church. But we're called to go home. <laughs> After this, tonight, you're going to go home and have dinner. Families in the room, we're called to go home and make disciples of our children. I love my wife. She's not here. I pointed to where she was at this point in the last service. She was standing right back there. I love my wife. She's constantly asking, how are we discipling our kids? What are we, how are we talking around them? How are we, what questions are we asking? That's why we're asking our 19-month-old kid who can't talk questions, and we're making him respond <laughs> around the dinner table because we're, we're all going around sharing our highs and lows. What did God do today? What are we loving? What are we struggling with? And then we look at Shepard eating his chicken nuggets, and he's just loving life, and we're like, Shepard, 
what was your high today? And he laughs and he giggles and we're like, we're waiting. And he'll mumble something. He doesn't know how to talk. Why? He's never going to remember this. Eleanor's going to remember. Eleanor's going to remember that we didn't discount Shepherd at the dinner table. We're called to go home and make disciples. Some of us just need to go home. <laughs> We're like, let's go, to the, let's go to Cambodia. Let's go to Uganda. Let's go to South Africa. Let's go. Let, please. Let's, I love it. I'm for it. Some of us just need to go home, make disciples there, go to work, go to school, go to the gym. When you live a life where you're loving Jesus, you're rooted in Scripture, you're led by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to have a missionary helmet on. And say, oh, I'm going to go be a missionary for two weeks. We live missionally because people in this city need the overflow of Jesus. Amen? Okay, I'm talking a little longer than I thought. That's who we are. We love Jesus. We're rooted in Scripture. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We're a sent people. And I could end it right there. Maybe our production crew would rather I did. But as I was preparing for this message, I started thinking about love Jesus. I mean, it's on our mission-like statement. Love Jesus, love each other, love our city. What does it mean to love Jesus? I mean, I'd like to think that we're a healthy, growing church, that we're doing okay. Even really unhealthy churches, they got a lot of issues, would say that their goal is to love Jesus. If you're a Christian church and that's not your goal, you've got some big problems. Love Jesus. I just started thinking about it. How do you love Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Why do we say from the very beginning that everything else comes secondary to Jesus, to loving Him? Actually, I want to, Taylor, I want to go to our, our last slide here in just a second. Don't go there yet. I'll give you the signal. You know, we, we can do a lot of amazing things. We can have a lot of incredible ministries. We can do so many, so many things that our city needs to see Jesus. But if we forget our first love, we're missing everything. If Jesus moves from the center and it becomes, we're going to be a church that has incredible worship, and has incredible ministries, and has really cool this, and has all these opportunities to serve, and to go throughout the nations, and they're this, and they're that, and they've got people that wear cool hats, and they've got people that wear cool clothes, and we're trendy, and we're hip, and all this, and we miss Jesus? It's like, so in the book of Revelation, the, I know, you're like, whoa, Revelation? We're going to Revelation. So the, the Apostle John has been uh, stranded on the island of Patmos, and he has a dream, and the dream is Revelation, and it is uh, weird, and it's descriptive and figurative, and we can talk about it. A lot of stuff going on, but one part of it, God says to the, in the dream to John, I want you to write letters to these few churches, because I have some instructions for them. Now, this is about 60 to 70 years, roughly, after most of the churches, the major churches in the New Testament, Corinth, Ephesus, had been planted. So Jesus you know, 65, 75 years ago has ascended into heaven. The church is growing. And now uh, God is saying, I want you to write a letter to Ephesus. There's a church there that needs some instruction. Throw it up there on the screen. 
And this is God speaking. He says, tell them, write this, tell them that I say, I know your deeds, church in Ephesus, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. You found them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You haven't grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The church at Ephesus, I mean, they're, they're clinging to the truth. People are coming in saying, we're apostles, we're teachers, and they're, and they're getting up and they're preaching, and the church is like, nope, you're not, because that's not true. They're clinging to truth. They're enduring hardships. They're, taking per, they're persevering through a culture that wishes they would go away. They're trying to kill Christians, and God says, you're doing amazing things, but you've, you've left your love you had at first. You've left the love you have for Jesus. That's not going to be us as a church. We're not going to leave our first love. We're going to be a church that whatever it takes to figure it out, what it looks like day in and day out to love Jesus, to know him more, to love him more. Forget everything else. Forget we, to, to, make, to, to tell others about him. Forget all the good things we could do for the city. Forget all the ways that God could use us to impact this, that, and the other. He's saying, you've forgotten your first love, which is just to love me, to know me. We're, we're a church. We're going to be a church where that's enough. We have to start closing down ministries because it, where they're not anchored in Jesus. We'll do it. To move buildings, move locations, move. Should we have the, we, the band goes away. It's just a guy on a guitar. Hopefully not me. Hopefully it's Noland. Like, we're not going to forsake Jesus. I was uh, reminded of the first sermon I ever preached when I was preparing this message. Probably was not a great message. But I think it, uh, the point of it is so true for us today, and I think it's one of the better named sermons I've ever had. Actually, I'll let you guys be the judge if this is like the apex of my naming ability when I name sermons or if this is the floor. But the first sermon I ever preached was called Jesus Was My J-Lo. Hey, hey, tension grabber. Okay, from the response, not my apex. Jesus Was My J-Lo. People are like, what? That was not a great message probably. Here's the point. I'm talking about celebrity crushes in that message. I got to be true to you right now, J-Lo was never my celebrity crush. I was not cool enough to know who J-Lo was. Remember? Straight and narrow, didn't do anything, probably never seen J-Lo before. But there was a girl I had seen in one of the best television shows of all time. Her name was Topanga. Yeah. Boy Meets World, for those of you that have no idea, there's a show called Boy Meets World. And there are officially people in this room that have no idea what I'm talking about. And that upsets me more than I'll let on. But I had a celebrity crush on, the, on Topanga from Boy Meets World. And uh, I remember just like in, in this, today's day and age, you, you have a celebrity crush. I mean, you, you can Google someone. You can find out their dietary habits. You can figure out where they ate last night. You can who their best friends are, where they grew up, what church they went to, what school they went to, what high school they went to, what did they major in. Where did, it's creepy right? So I had like fallen for this Topanga girl, never met her, but you would have never known that. The way I talked was as if me and Topanga were like, we're it. 
She's awesome. Oh, I know her. She's amazing. We've got to get Corey out of the way, and then I'm in. <laughs> but the whole point of the sermon was, hey, celebrity, having a celebrity crush on Jesus won't last. It won't sustain you. It might be fun to come to church on Sunday and have this incredible worship experience and maybe encounter God, feel the presence, feel the Spirit. And then, but what about on Tuesday when everything hits the fan and you're left with a celebrity crush? You're left knowing a lot of facts about God. You're left knowing a lot of things that you can tell their people that actually people might actually believe, wow, they really know God. But in the, rea- the reality is you've never met him. Or maybe you met him a long time ago when you walked away. Or maybe you think you can't meet him. Maybe you think you've done too much in your life. Like this idea of like, cool, Cody, I get it. Rooted in Scripture and, and led by the Holy Spirit and we'll figure that out. And, and, and uh, being, going, be, being sent. And I can get on board with all that. But when you talk about loving Jesus, like being in love with him, like knowing how much he loves you, like letting that be the thing that drives you that sustains you, that holds you together when everything else is falling apart, that part, like when you just said all those words, I got uncomfortable. Because I don't know that. That's weird. That's uh, that's awkward. I I can't even imagine what that must be like. I think there's a lot of people in the room that for one reason or another, they're like, I don't know if I can like love Jesus like you're talking about. I don't know if I can make it like the thing. I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I deserve like to even be loved, let alone respond in kind. I can't convince you. I can't. I can't convince you how much Jesus loves you. I can tell you. I can tell you from my own life. I can give you the moments in my life that I will never forget, the encounters of God, the words he's spoken. I can't convince you that God loves you. The truth can. The Word of God can. I don't have time tonight to go through every story. But there's people in the room tonight that have been told that you can't be near to God because of sin. That your sin, your brokenness, your messed up, the thing you did last night, the thing you did, this, whatever it is, like you can't. And so you do everything, it took everything you had to muster your courage to even come and sit in a setting like this. You're like, I can't. Like, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a church person. I can't be a church. That's for you guys. Like this, this whole love of God works for all you, all you out there that like say the word hell and then go repent 30 times because you feel like a horrible person. I'm not, I've got so much. I'll just point you to Adam and Eve, very beginning in Genesis. Their brokenness, their sin, they're hiding in the bushes. They're terrified. They think God's going to be angry. They're ashamed of what, they done, of what they've done. And where the world or where other churches, whatever this voice in our head would tell us that he is angry with us and he doesn't want to be around us in sin, that he can't handle it. Genesis 3, what happens? God shows up in the garden calling out to Adam and Eve and saying, where are you? He pursues them. He's pursuing us in our brokenness, in our shame, and in our pain. The love of God is not intimidated by what you did last night. It doesn't disqualify you. I could point you to a story that I'm not going to go full detail in right now, but you should look it up. It's a story of Hosea and a poor woman who had been given the name Gomer. Poor Gomer. 
the story, Hosea, God says to Hosea, go marry a prostitute. He goes and marries Gomer, a prostitute. They have kids. They start a family. They're married. And at some point in their family, they've had kids, all this stuff. And, he, and Gomer in the middle of the night gets up and leaves and goes back to being a prostitute. And Hosea wakes up and he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's angry. God, you told me to marry. What's going on? And God says, go find her. Bring her back and pay a high price for her. Hosea goes and he finds his wife in the red light district. And he buys her back for a large amount of money. See, the greatest act of love in the, the whole Bible is pointing us to the cross. It's pointing us to the Jesus. The, the dis, ultimate display of love is the life and the death and the, and the sacrifice of Jesus. And Homer, and, or excuse me, Homer, <laughs> Hosea and Gomer are pointing us to the cross. I'll give the credit to those who laughed first, who caught it. Some of us in this room are like, yeah, I used to know, I used to do the church thing. I grew up in church. I met Jesus a long time ago, but I, for whatever reason, I, 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 let, I, I went back. I went back to what I used to do and who I used to be, and there's no way, there's no way that this love of God, love of Jesus thing is for me. Go read Hosea and Gomer. Go read the story of the woman caught in adultery. One of the most powerful displays of Jesus covering our shame. There's people in the room tonight that don't think, you don't think you deserve the love or can be loved because of you're ashamed. Like if the people in this room, let alone God, found out the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've done when no one's looking, there's no way I would be allowed in this room. There's no way I'd be allowed at the, a seat at the table. There's no way Jesus could love me. Go read about a woman who was dragged before Jesus dragged from her darkest moment, most a shameful thing, put on display in front of everyone and watch how Jesus covers her shame, distracts everyone so they're not looking at her, sends them all away, and with grace and love looks at her and says, no one's here to accuse you. I don't accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Go read the story of the prodigal. There's people in the room that are like, yeah, Cody, you were on the straight and narrow. Like, like you smoked a cigar three days early. That was your big bad sin. I can, let's have coffee. I can tell you about my big bad sin. My life of sin destroying it from the time I was little. But anyways, there's people in the room that are like, if, I've just, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. This whole Jesus thing, there's no way. Read the story of the prodigal, takes his dad's money, and the Bible actually says he goes and spends it all on wild living. He did what I was trying to do at Baylor, but God wouldn't let me. He just goes and says, okay, world, what do you got? He spends all the money, ends up eating with pigs, ends up bankrupt, ends up I'm feeling like he's not even worthy to be a part of his family anymore, starts walking back home, hoping that his dad will let him be a servant. And where do you find Jesus in that story? Where do you find the dad? I picture him on the front porch on a rocking chair. It's not in the Bible. I picture it. So we're going to be anchored in, the, in Scripture, and I can add a rocking chair. So there you go. <laughs> and I just picture Jesus, the dad, every night. The rest of the family is like, what are you doing? Why are you out there? It's time to go to bed. It's time for dinner. Like, come on. And there's Jesus. No, nope, she's going to come back. He 
he's going to come back. And I'm going to be here when they do. And of course, the moment that that son realizes, what am I doing? I'm going to go try and be a servant. The dad runs, hugs him, kisses him, puts clothes on him, puts, throws a party, feeds him, gives him everything he has. There's people in this room that need to know that you're not too far gone for the love of God. The ultimate display of love is the cross. Hebrews 12, 2, Paul puts it this way. The fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as Jesus is carrying that cross, he's fully man. He feels every lash. He feels every thorn uh, on that crown. He feels the pain that was meant to kill people before they even got on the cross. And he's carrying that thing up to that hill. And it says that with joy, the joy that was set before him, the joy was you and me getting set free. Set free to know His love, set free to know Him, set free from all the junk that, 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 that sin has done in our life, to be set free from all of the things that we're afraid to tell other people about, all the things that we think God's going to be mad about, all the things, all the things. And as He hung there, sorry if this is too graphic, but it's what happened. He hung there waiting to suffocate. And it was the joy. It was His joy that you and I might be set free. It was his joy that you and I might not have to have a celebrity crush on him and just hear stories that we might not, but that we might know his love. I, I mentioned that woman that used to worship right up here. And she was surrendered and she was worshiping on her, crying and, and, and laughing and yelling, and it was distracting. One day, Jimmy, the pastor, got up and he basically rebuked the whole church for judging her. And he said, if you knew the life that she's led, if you knew the pain and the trauma, if you knew the death that has come to her doorstep and the children she's lost and the husband that she's lost, if you knew the pain, and yet she knows the love of God and she surrendered to it. Maybe we all need to be a little more distracted by surrender at the end of the day. So that's it. That's who we are. We're a church that loves Jesus. We're not going to settle for celebrity crush status. We've got to know him. We've got to love him. What happens here has to matter on Tuesday. What happens here has to matter when life hits the fan. It's a, it's a daily thing. We've got to know the love and be in love with Jesus, and everything else will fall in line. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to pray. If you don't know that love, you've never encountered it. Maybe it's been, maybe you're like, man, years ago, I think I felt it or think I had a moment with him. I think I've had an encounter. Whether, wherever you fall on that spectrum, those stories, wherever you fall, tonight's the night. All it says is that we have to believe he is who he says he is, that we can trust him and love him and know him and be known by him. I'm going to pray. You can repeat after me. You can make it your own words. It's not about the, the, the formula. It's about our heart. And then we're going to worship to close out. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you purchased a way that I can know it. Not theoretically, not figuratively, tangibly. I can know that you love me. God, I need you. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I want you to come be Lord of my life. I don't even know what it looks like. 
that I can't do it on my own anymore. I need a Savior. I need a friend. I need you. Lord, I give you my life. Amen.